0: The word. Father, now as we come to the study of your word, the preaching of the word of God, it is, O oh God, the high point of our week. It is the most important event in our week to hear from the living God. Thus says the Lord. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts. That we would understand wonderful things from your law. That we as your people would submit ourselves under the authority of your word. That we would receive it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in those who believe. So God, teach us this afternoon, humble us, conform us to Christ, and may we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. If you are visiting with us today, we want to say welcome. We're thankful that you're here. If you uh, are here today and maybe haven't been with us for some time, welcome to you as well. Uh, We are finishing today a three-part series that we have been working through in December as we've been working our way to Christmas. We looked at part one, the coming of Christ to save. Remember, the angel said, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then last week, we looked at part two, the coming of Christ to judge. That Jesus will come back in the future again, just like he came back a first time, he will come a second time. But he will come triumphantly riding on a white horse and he will come to judge. Today, we come to part three. Part three of the sermon today, the sermon series, is the coming of Christ to reign. So, Jesus at the second coming comes all the way to earth. Then what? Today, as we look in the Bible, it's going to answer that question. Okay, Jesus is going to come back again. Then what? Jeremiah 23, verse 5 is what I'm going to preach on this afternoon. Follow with me as I read the clear, the authoritative, the faithful word of the living God. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely. And he will do justice and righteousness in the land. It is almost every day that I drop off my computer bag and my commentaries here and I begin my sermon preparation for the day with a lengthy walk. And I will often go down the road to the park and as I'm walking around the park in recent weeks and months, they've been having all the Christmas lights, as you well know, and As you're working your way around the park, toward the back, they've got this large wooden statement that always intrigues me when I see it. It's huge, massive letters, and it's this, peace on earth. Hmm. Well, how's that going to come? And when's that going to come? And through whom is that going to come? And, and by what means are we going to have peace on earth? Could you imagine a world? Could you imagine a world that is dominated by righteousness and goodness? Could you imagine a world where there is zero injustice at all? Could you imagine a world where there is no court that ever renders an unjust verdict? And could you imagine a world where everyone is treated fairly? Could you imagine a world where what is true and right and noble marks every aspect of life? Uh, Interpersonal relations, commerce, education, government, global affairs. It is all marked by what is right. Imagine a world where there is complete, total, enforced, and real, permanent peace. Imagine a world where joy abounds and good health prevails, so much so that people will live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Could you imagine a time, a world where the curse is all but removed? Where the environment is restored to, like, the pristine purity of the Garden of Eden. Where peace reigns even in the animal kingdom. Could you imagine a world where there is one perfect ruler over the whole globe? He instantly and firmly and rightly deals with sin. And all of this, if you think, man, that sounds amazing. That's what the conditions will be like during the future earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, could you imagine a time like that? When hospitals aren't needed, police officers aren't needed, firemen aren't needed anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the perfect royal sovereign king reigning over all and all the nations seek him. Could you imagine living in a time like that? Where we are today in Jeremiah chapter 23 is leading us to the description and characteristics of this future kingdom. And I'm convinced, absolutely convinced. I was, I was sitting on my couch, this is a couple years ago, with a professor that I had. And, and he said, I think that we as Christians ought to think and talk far more about the future millennial kingdom than we do. I mean, we ought to talk about heaven far more than we do, but we also ought to think about and talk about the millennial kingdom more than we do. We ought to pray more, let your kingdom come. Jesus came the first time. He came born of a woman, He came to save. He came to suffer. He came to die. He will come a second time, just as literally as he came the first time, and just as miraculously as he came the first time. Jesus will come a second time, and when he comes, he will reign as the king on the earth. When the Lord saved me, one of the topics that so intrigued me was that of biblical prophecy. Apathy to biblical prophecy astonishes me. I am astonished at the seminary level, at the Bible college level, at the pastorate level, how there's so much apathy toward prophecy. And I want you to look in your Bible again. Right here, look at verse 5. I just read that from Jeremiah 23, that God will raise up a righteous branch. But I want you to look at verse 6. Very next verse. In his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and here's the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Let me just begin by saying this. Is the Lord your righteousness? Everything that I'm going to say today hinges on this. Because because if you will have a place in this kingdom that we're going to look at today, Jesus must be your righteousness. If the kingdom is going to be yours if you're going to be headed for this world of peace and this world of joy and this world of truth where Jesus reigns on the earth, if that's going to be your future home, the only way to get there is to be righteous in Christ. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're here today and God looks upon you and He sees all of your sin and he sees the record of your life, and you've got a lot of sins marked against you, I call you even this very moment to come to Christ by faith. There is righteousness not found in keeping the law, not by your own doing, but by faith in Christ. It is the only way for God to look upon you and me as sinners and count us as righteous, not because of us, but because he sees Christ in our place. He is the Lord, our righteousness. But if this is you, If you are clothed in his righteousness, if you are counted righteous in Christ by simple faith and faith alone, then let me teach about where you're going to be in the future for a thousand years, for a thousand years. It is the coming of Jesus Christ to earth. He will judge and then he will reign on the earth over the nations in righteousness. So if you're taking notes. I want to give you some beautiful features of the kingdom, beautiful features of the kingdom that all come out of verse five. I want you to look with me at Jeremiah 23, verse five, and we're going to pull out these beautiful features of the kingdom of Christ. The first is this, the reign of Christ. When he rules as the king, the reign of Christ first It is certain. It is certain. It is certain to happen. And that's what verse 5 says. Behold, the days are coming. I just love the certainty of the promises of God. I love how in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses says, God will raise up for you a prophet. And guess what? He did it. And then we read in Isaiah 53, verse 5, that God said through Isaiah that Messiah would be pierced through for our transgressions. And guess what? He did it. And here we come again to another section where there is a certain promise from God. Days are coming. It's like in Revelation chapter 19 where we read that Jesus comes on a white horse all the way to earth and he judges his enemies and he will will come with all of his holy ones and with the angels and we all look forward to that magnificent historical event that will come. Well, so it will be a real historical event that after that, in Revelation 20, That Jesus will, in fact, sit on the throne. It is real. It is dependable. It is certain. Listen to the promise in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 33. As I live, declares the Lord, I shall be king over you. That's a promise. As I live, declares the Lord, I will be the king over you. That's a promise. It's certain. I love Malachi, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations. Could you imagine traveling to North Korea? And Jesus' name is magnified there. Could you imagine traveling to Yemen, Nigeria, some of these countries where the hostility is so great toward Christ and his name is magnified there? Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran. Could you imagine the name of Jesus magnified there? Malachi 111, my name will be great among the nations. Habakkuk 2 verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. What I love about Jeremiah 23 5, days are coming. It It shows me that God is a God of certainty and reliability. You know what God promises? He fulfills. What he decrees, he brings to pass. God is never early. He's never late. But he's always precise and perfect. You know, we, we might say, you know, when church is over, I'm going to go home and have this or that New Year's Eve celebration. Or tomorrow, I'm going to do this. Or this upcoming year, I'm going to do this. We're, we're, we're very confident about our plans for the future. And, and yet, as certain as it is that the, the sun will come up in the morning, and it'll go down in the afternoon, Jesus... And his coming and his kingship is far more certain than at any of those things. How amazing. William Carey was the missionary traveling to India. Had the love of Christ on his heart. He had the gospel on his lips. He wanted to go and transform men and women's lives with the power of the gospel. And he said this, the future is always as bright as the promises of God. Never forget that. The future is always as bright as the promise of God. So when we look at the reign of Christ, we see it in verse 5. Days are coming. It's certain. Number two, if you're taking notes, jot this down. The reign of Christ, number two, it is a divine act. It is a divine act. You got to see it in verse 5. Look at it again. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I Will. I will. God says, I will. You know, God is able when man is unable. What is impossible with men is possible with God. What? What do you mean he's going to reign on the earth for a thousand years and all of the nations are going to see the glory of Christ and his name will be the only name that is magnified? What? That seems so impossible. What do you mean the book of Zechariah says that Gentile nations will grab the garment of a Jewish man saying, lead me to Jerusalem for I hear that God is with you. What? What? That's not happening now, and that seems ludicrous to even think about. But yet, the Bible tells us that what we think may be impossible is possible with God. In the days of the kings of Israel, 2 Kings 19, verse 31, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform what is impossible We read that there is no end to the increase of Christ's government and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this in Isaiah 9. The raising up of Cyrus, a pagan king, to bring the Jews back after exile. God says, I have planned it. Surely I will do it. God says in Isaiah 46, verse 10, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. We think, ah, oh, that could never happen. Sure, with man it can't happen, but with God it can. Jesus, Jesus tells us in the Bible that a virgin will conceive. I mean, that seems really odd. We read in the Bible that Messiah will be pierced in his hands and his feet in Psalm 22, and that's hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. That seems really odd. Jesus rising from the dead, that seems really odd. But all those happened. Jesus reigning on the earth? Seems really odd. But God is not limited or hindered or thwarted by difficulty. I want to show you how divine this is. Let me read for you Acts chapter 3, which is a wonderful picture of the future millennial reign of Christ. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 17, the apostle Peter is preaching in Jerusalem, and he says, Brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance as your rulers did, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled it. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order, I'm in verse 19, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the prophets. God tells us in Acts 3 through Peter's preaching that heaven receives the Messiah after he suffered, but then he will be sent again to reign in those times of refreshing. I love the I wills of the Bible. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 if you look at it again in your Bible, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will. Genesis 2:18, I will make a helper suitable for him. And God did it. Exodus 3, I will bring you out of Egypt, and he did it. Joshua eleven six. 6, I will deliver the nations into your hands, and he did it. Genesis 6, I will blot out man with a flood, and he did it. I will will raise up a righteous branch and he will rule as king in the land. It is a divine act. If you're taking notes, write down number three. Not only do we see the glorious features that the king is, is certain and the kingship is a divine act. Third, if you're taking notes, the reign is covenantal. It is covenantal. And we see it in our text, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David. For David? Well, yeah, for David. There's a lot that comes from that. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. God says, I will raise up the fallen booth of David and I will rebuild it as in the days of old. What we need to remember, church family, biblical prophecy is not just an intellectual enterprise. It engages our hearts. And the reason is our God is so covenantal and faithful. Listen to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore the Lord your God, he is the faithful God who keeps his covenant Now, ponder with me for a moment. Let's let's go back into the ancient Near Eastern world. Let's sort of rewind time for 3,000 years. And we're living in the ancient Near Eastern times. We don't say make a covenant. No ancient Near Eastern cultures did that. It was always you cut a covenant. Why cut a covenant? What's that all about? Well, what, what they would do in the ancient Near Eastern world is they would take an animal and they would cut it in two. You divide that animal on the ground and both parties that are making a covenant would walk through in the midst of that animal that was cut in two. What's the point? If one of us breaks our end of the deal, may we die like that animal died. That adds a whole new picture to covenant faithfulness. If I break my end of the deal, I should die. I should die. And by the way, Genesis shows this, how God was the only one who walked through the animal pieces when he made a covenant with Abraham. But that's how the ancient world thought of it. You cut a covenant. God is faithful. He is always reliable. And that's what God did when he made covenants. And he made a covenant with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read in verse 12 when God says, When your days are complete, David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up a descendant after you. He will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. That is a clear picture of Messiah who will have a kingdom who will come from the lineage of David. Verse 13, he will build build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Well, Solomon built the temple, but Solomon wasn't the king forever. But through Solomon's lineage, there would come the Lord Jesus. We read in verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. In accordance to all these words, Nathan spoke to David. Jeremiah calls it a new covenant. It is called in the scriptures an eternal covenant. We read in Psalm 89 about this covenant that God makes with David, in Psalm 89 verse 36 that God's covenant will not be violated. He will not lie to David. Isaiah, or, pardon me, Psalm 89 says that David's descendants will endure forever. And his throne will endure as the sun before me. God is a covenant-making God. He is faithful, and he is reliable, and he is steadfast all the while. This is why Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the whole New Testament begins with this simple truth. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of David. That God is a covenant-making God. That's why Jeremiah says, if you have your Bible still open to verse 5 in Jeremiah 23, I will raise up for David. God says, I made a promise to David. There's going to be a king. And he's going to have a kingdom. I've got to be faithful to that covenant that I made. Imagine a young man who wants to date a young girl. And he tells this to his friends. And his friends know this young girl and his friends say to him, don't do that. Don't do that. I know her and we've seen her and we understand how she's lived. You can't trust her. She doesn't keep her word. She doesn't keep her promises. She's not faithful. Don't date her. Don't be with her. Could you imagine those statements? We hear it all the time. You can't trust him. He doesn't keep his word. He said he would do it, but he didn't fulfill his promise. We understand all of that, but that could never be said of our God. That could never be said of our God. Never ever will those ideas of he can't be trusted. (laughs) He's not faithful. He made a promise but he won't fulfill it. Never will that be uttered about our God because he's covenantally true. Nehemiah prays in chapter 9 verse 32. He says that you are the God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant, and loving kindness. We ought to rejoice that our God makes promises and he's faithful. He's faithful. That is a game changer because you can take all the promises of the Bible and you can take them to the bank even when this world is shifting and shaking and the world seems to be falling into the heart of the sea. The psalm says you can rely on the promises of God so the reign of god third is covenantal taking notes going to give you a fourth here the reign of christ is messianic messianic it is a messianic reign and i get this right here in verse five god says the days are coming declares the lord when i will raise up for david a righteous branch you know i want to be about the glory of christ don't you we do. We, we want to be all about the magnificent radiance of Christ. And I am fully convinced that from the Old Testament through the New Testament, one of the greatest ways that Christ will magnify his glory, not only with his elect people, but with all of the nations of the earth is in the future thousand year millennial kingdom. It is the greatest display of Christological glory, I'm convinced of it, that it will be. Man, in Genesis chapter 1, was told to rule and have dominion over everything on the earth, but man failed. Man didn't do it. And where the first Adam failed, the second greater Adam will succeed. He will, in fact, have dominion over all things on the earth. We read about this intriguing word, branch. Do you see that there in your Bible, the word branch? It's also found in Isaiah chapter 4. Listen to this. Isaiah 4 verse 2 talks about the branch of the Lord. I love this. Don't miss it. He will be glorious and beautiful. There's everything attractive and radiant and splendid and perfect about King Jesus. Isaiah 4, verse 2 talks about that. Isaiah 11, verse 1, a branch will come from Jesse, and he will come from the lineage of David, and he will bear fruit. Zechariah chapter 3 talks about, I will bring my servant the branch. But not only in Jeremiah 23 do we learn about this, Jeremiah 33 even talks about the branch as well. In Jeremiah 33, verse 15, in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring forth and he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Why branch? Well, it starts small, starts humble, but it can grow to be so strong and mighty and immovable. I want you to ponder with me why Matthew chapter 2 verse 23 says this. It was spoken to fulfill what was said by the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Anybody ever wonder why is that said in Matthew that the prophet said it? You can look through your whole Bible and there's no prophecy that he's going to be called a Nazarene. So why does Matthew say as it was spoken through the, notice the plural, Prophets. Because it's the word for branch. The word Nazer for Nazarene means branch. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Small little branch? Can anything good come out of that place? What an insignificant city. And yet, when Jesus returns, he's not going to be a despised Nazarene. He's going to be the revered Nazarene who rules over the world. Ezekiel 28, verse 25, God says, I will manifest my holiness in the sight of the nations, and they will know that I am the Lord their God. Has God manifested his name and his holiness among all the nations? I mean, do all the nations acknowledge the kingship of Jesus? This is why Psalm 2 tells us that that God has made a decree to the Son. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. You will rule them with a rod of iron. On Mount Zion he will reign as king. David wrote that. He's the king reigning on Mount Zion. There's a coming king that will reign from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Psalm seventy two eleven, all the nations will serve him. Psalm 86, verse 9, all the nations will come and worship the Lord. I love this. Isaiah 66, verse 18, God will gather all the nations and they will come and see my glory church family that's a promise this is messianic this is all about Christ revelation 11:15 the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Christ and he will reign forever it is the anointed messiah the branch the nazarene who will rule on the world Let me give you a fifth heading if you're taking notes. We see these glorious features of the kingship of Christ. We have seen, number one, that this great kingship of Jesus is certain. Number two, it is divine. We have seen, third, that it is covenantal. Fourth, it is messianic. Fifth, the reign is now through a man. He reigns through a man. Back to Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he, he, God gave dominion to man, but Christ will ultimately fulfill it when he rules on the earth. God promised a king to rule across the whole world. Christ will ultimately fulfill it. God promised righteousness and peace on earth. Christ will ultimately fulfill it. God promised a kingdom for saints to reign with Christ. Christ will fulfill it. There is a kingdom for Israel regathered and regenerated. Christ will bring it about. If I could give you some theological terminology for a minute, let's go to the deep end of the pool. Theologically, we call this the mediatorial kingdom. God reigns through a mediator. Just like he did in the Old Testament time through Moses. God reigned over Israel through Moses, the spokesman. God reigned over Israel through Joshua, the leader of the people of Israel. God reigned over Israel through the judges. God reigned over Israel through Samuel, the judge and the prince and the prophet at that time. In the future, God will reign through the mediator, Jesus. He reigns over all things. He governs all things. And he will rule over Israel and all. All of the nations of the earth. I love how Isaiah chapter 11 says, The branch of the Lord will reign. Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 61 about himself. When he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted and to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All that happened at the first coming, but then he stopped. The quote continues in Isaiah 61 at the second coming. And he will bring about the day of vengeance of our God, and he will comfort all who mourn. He will grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, so that the Lord may be glorified. You see, in Matthew chapter 19, this was read during the scripture reading. In Matthew nineteen twenty-eight, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will sit on 12 thrones. You see, God will reign through the man Jesus. He will reign over the nations. Maybe I could illustrate it like this. Uh, Ponder with me one of the longest kingships currently, Louis XIV. The longest reigning monarch has served this role for 72 years when he took the throne at age four. He's a man, a frail man. His kingdom will soon end. But Jesus, the God-man? He will reign forever. It really is truly a rulership of God through Jesus Christ, majestic and glorious on the earth for all the nations to see. I want to give you number six if you're taking notes. Here's the sixth glorious feature of the kingdom. The reign of Christ is regal regal or maybe you could write royal as well because Jeremiah 23:5 says that Jesus will reign as the king he will reign as king he will reign as the regal monarch he will have a royal kingdom I mean, ponder this. The the, the ruler sits on his throne and the government rests on his shoulders. And Jesus receives authority and he holds it by divine grant. Get this. All the functions of all government everywhere on planet Earth is centered on Christ. Revelation 12 verse 5 says that Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Isaiah 35, 2, all will come to see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. In Matthew 25, 31, when Jesus says he returns again, he will judge the sheep and the goats. And then he will sit on his, I love this, not just his throne, his glorious throne. He he has a glorious throne. Ponder the reality of Jesus, not just having a throne, but the glorious kingly throne over all. By the way, Psalm 72 will give a lot of details about this throne. Zechariah 14 gives a lot of details about the royal, regal reign of Christ. Now, we could even pause for a quick second, and if we ponder this kingdom to come, if Jesus is this royal, if he is this regal, this majestic, if he is this splendid, okay, it's more than just an intellectual exercise, okay, so there's a kingdom that's going to come. It's more than that. We ought to fear him. We, We ought to reverence him. We ought to obey him. We ought to look to him. We ought to adore him and speak well of our king. We ought to marvel at him as we gaze upon his glory. One of my favorite verses in all of Isaiah is Isaiah 33, verse 17. Your eyes will see the king in all of his beauty. Oh, for that day when we will know and see and behold the beauty of King Jesus. Now, maybe another illustration would be helpful here when we think about the regal nature of the kingship. So we're we're all aware of the pharaohs of, of ancient Egypt. And ponder with me one of the most maybe elaborate and royal of all of them, King Tut. The pharaoh in ancient Egypt who became king at nine and he reigned until the age of 19. And after he died and he was buried, as perhaps you know, buried in a wealthy tomb with a lot of, of trinkets that were with him. In 1922, archaeologists discovered what amounted to be nearly a billion dollars worth of gold and different artifacts that was buried with King Tut in his tomb. But he's dead. And he's gone. And his kingship is over. And his reign is through. But Jeremiah says that this righteous branch, verse 5, will reign as the king. Far more than just a billion dollars worth of gold in someone's tomb. Here's the beauty of God himself. In all of the splendor and majesty of God, reigning as the king. Let me give you number seven if you're taking notes. The the glorious features of the kingdom is marked. Number seven, the reign is wise. It is wise. The reign of Christ is wise. Verse 5, if you look again in your Bible, Jeremiah 23, 5, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, he will reign as king and act wisely. You ever read the news and you think, what a stupid thing to do. Yes. And yet here's a king who perfectly, perfectly reigns with wisdom. Isaiah 33, verse 6, hear this verse. You may want to jot it down in the, in the unstable times that we live. Isaiah 33, 6, he, referring to Messiah, he will be the stability of our times. Remember that election season this year. He will be the stability of our times and he will be our wisdom. Okay, ponder with me. All the branches of government... All the branches of government that currently exist, not only in the United States of America, but take all of the hundreds of nations in the world, all the branches of government in every country and all of the wisdom and knowledge of them all. And yet Jesus alone will rule all the nations with perfect wisdom and knowledge and intellect and skill. That's why we read in Isaiah chapter 9, a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. The first name that is given to him is Wonderful Counselor. There is no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and on the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus returning from heaven? And then he reigns and he governs the nations, get this, with intimate knowledge. When was the last time a president called you? Or a vice president called you? They don't. They don't know me. But yet Jesus will reign with intimate knowledge, with perfect precision, with unfathomable intellect, with timely words, with divine decrees, with just decisions, with compassionate kingship. Oh, to think of such a kingship. Proverbs 8.15, by me, kings reign. By wisdom, kings reign. So we do well to join with the heavenly choir. We we do well to join with all the angels who are worshiping the lamb, even right now. Worthy is the lamb, Revelation says, to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. But one of those was wisdom. The lamb of glory is worthy to receive worship because of his wisdom. His wisdom. Number eight, if you're taking notes, let me give you this. Number eight, another feature of the kingdom. The reign of Christ is just. And you maybe would do well to write down and righteous as well. It is a just and a righteous kingship and that's what Jeremiah 23 5 says he will reign as the king he will act wisely and he will do justice and righteousness you think how's that going to happen well Revelation 20 tells us that Satan will be incarcerated for a thousand years Satan will be totally inactive. He will be totally bound during the entirety of a thousand-year kingdom. That is literal. It will happen. And how do we know that's so? Well, he will be so incarcerated so that he will not deceive the nations any longer. And the text says in Jeremiah 23, 5, that Jesus will do justice and righteousness in the land. Now, ponder this. We live in times where there are unjust leaders. We live in times when there are unrighteous laws. We understand that. It's it's so common to us. But a day is coming when all of Earth's administrators will be just. They will be fair and right All the laws will be just and fair and right. God's goodness and beauty and loveliness will be upheld and cherished and loved. God's law will be written on men's hearts and it will be talked about. There will be no partiality, no bias, no discrimination, no injustice, no partisanship, no unfairness, no trafficking, no abortion, no rioting, and no lawlessness. Ever. On that thousand year kingdom. That's what Jesus will do. He will do justice and righteousness. Spurgeon loved thinking about the future kingdom. And Spurgeon said, When shall thy son, the prince of peace, descend with glorious power? Then and only then shall oppression cease. Oh, haste that welcome hour. You know, the story is told of the Roman emperor Caligula. He, he reigned in the years of 80, 12 to 41. That was the emperor in Rome when Jesus was alive during his ministry. And Caligula was the emperor, and he was known as a man of intimidation. He was known as a man of pride. He was so arrogant that he was very quick, among many other Roman emperors, but he called himself God. He instituted a reign of terror. And Caligula arrested people for treason unjustly all over the place, records say. He was immoral. He was debauched. He was an insomniac. He was fearful. He was prideful. He was a killer. And records say that he was terribly unfair. Or we could talk about, we could talk about Ivan Fourth IV of Russia. Or we could talk about Mary, Queen of Scots. Or we could talk about Hitler, or Stalin, or Napoleon, or you pick the world leader then and now. Many, many, many others through the millennia who have been so unjust, and so unrighteous, and so ungodly. And yet, think of Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 42, verse 4. He will establish justice in the earth. Jeremiah 33, verse 15. He will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Man, I long for that. And if you're taking notes, speaking of earth, jot down the ninth and final The glorious feature of this kingdom right here at the end of verse 5. The reign of Christ, number 9. It is earthly. It is earthly. It is an earthly reign of Christ. He will do justice and righteousness in the land. This is what Zechariah 14 says. The Lord returns to Jerusalem in verse 5. And then we read in verse 9 that the Lord will be king over all the earth, Zechariah 14:9. And then we read in verse 11 that Jerusalem will dwell securely. And then we read that God declares he will dwell in Zion, his holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and the Lord dwells in Zion, Joel 3:17 says. He will reign in the land, Jesus is not reigning in the land of Israel on Mount Zion, currently he is not reigning over the nations currently, as the Hebrew prophet said he would revelation five nine tells us that Christ redeemed us, and we are a kingdom of priests, and we will reign upon the earth in revelation twenty verse six We are priests of God and of Christ, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. Is it a spiritual kingdom? Absolutely, it's a spiritual kingdom, but it's also physical. It's earthly. Jeremiah 33 and verse 15 tells us, in Jeremiah 33, 15, that he will execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Ezekiel 37, verse 22, on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem will be his kingdom. Isaiah 24, 23, on his glorious throne in Zion. Before I draw this to a close, I I do want to state, and I think hopefully we would all agree, that we are all about environmental change, climate change. Global change, political change, and economic change. But you and I can't bring it about. Nobody can bring it about. I'm all about the change. But Jesus will handle it. He will bring it about and he will do just fine. You know, I suppose if we put all of this together, all the nine glorious features that we've looked at, listen to this. There is a soon return of Jesus, where he will descend to earth bodily and physically, and his feet will step on Mount of Olives. And he will then reign certainly, divinely, covenantally, messianically, personally, royally, wisely, righteously, and earthly. It is a real 1,000-year worldwide kingdom. We know the length, 1,000 years, because Revelation 20 Verses 1 to 6 makes that clear. The question is, will you be there? Will you be there? If your Bible is still open to our verse, Jeremiah 23... Verse 5, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as the king. He will act wisely. He will do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And here's the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Make sure, make doubly sure, make absolutely sure that Jesus is your righteousness. Make absolutely sure that when God looks upon you, he does not see you in your sin. He doesn't see you in your lawlessness. He doesn't see you in your failures, because if so, you're going to go to hell. But make sure that he looks upon you through Christ, your only hope of righteousness. And if Christ is your righteousness, and this only happens by faith, it only happens by trusting in Him, it only happens by leaning upon Him, by receiving Him as your Savior and your Lord. If He is your righteousness, there is coming a day when the saints, including you, will reign with Christ on the earth. So what? Well, we have a biblical prophecy conference coming in a week. So what? Why all this talk about Jesus reigning? Well, practically, I think, number one, this gives you confidence in your praying. As Jesus taught you to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Number two, this is the climax of history. This is the climax of history. Look, history is going somewhere. Do I think 2024 is going to be a crazy time in this nation? Yes. But history's going somewhere. God is not off the sovereign throne of heaven. There is a climax in world history and God is leading it to its appointed end where Christ will reign as the king. I also want you to know how important this is. The culmination of the the Abrahamic covenant, of the Davidic covenant, of the new covenant, all converge and they meet in the future kingdom upon the earth. I believe that when we view the future kingdom rightly this gives supreme honor to Jesus as we will behold the glory and beauty of Jesus when he reigns on the earth we have comfort in God knowing that just what God said he would do in the old testament times and he's still faithful to bring it about if God is that faithful you and I can trust him when he says things like I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We know that we can have hope in our God. The prophet Micah spoke a lot about the coming earthly kingdom. And yet he was living in such dark days. Micah 7 is a terribly discouraging chapter. Because it tells about how unjust times are. And Micah doesn't understand what's going on. But then Micah 7 verse 7 says. But as for me, I will walk in the name of the Lord my God. We can have hope in God, even in dark times. And I think another practical application is we better be holy. We better be holy. In fact, if I could just read for us very quickly, First Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor the homosexuals, nor the thieves, nor the covetous, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If that marks your life, you're not going to go there. But such were some of you. That's who I was but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Praise God for the forgiveness that is found and the full cleansing that is found in Jesus. So I think the fitting way to close a message like this is to give a final exhortation to every Christian in this place. Let us pray. Your kingdom come. If you're here and you're a non-believer, Jesus isn't your king. He's not your savior. In Psalm 2, David says, be wise and kiss the son. Kiss the son in humble trust lest he become angry and you perish in his wrath. For his anger is soon kindled. Soon kindled. We ought to be like that one in the Gospel of Luke where he was beating his chest in humility and he said, Oh God, have mercy on me, the sinner. If you're here today as a non-believer, outside of Christ and outside of his saving love, humble yourself, come to Christ. Don't be dashed to pieces by him. Receive his covenant love this very day. Receive him, trust in him, come to him, believe upon him, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given such clarity in your